listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. All right. Amen. I said it last week, man. It's, it's incredible just to, and we're just saying, what, what a beautiful name, Jesus. And to think that for 2,000 years, right, like believers have gathered, people have gathered just in the name of Jesus like that. It's crazy. And so part of that time is that we just, we turn to his word, right? That's what, what we do every week. And we're in, we've been in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 a little bit last week, and, and we're in it this week. Um, but just by way of introduction, um, anyone ever heard where the head goes, the body follows? Anyone ever heard that? Where the head goes, the body follows. I remember these words very clearly. Um, as a sixth grader, uh, my dad would not let me uh, join the Pee Wee football team. He made me wait until seventh grade where I could play for the school. And so one of the ways that he kind of compromised uh, with my desire to play is that he'd kind of work with me and, and help me like practice, whether it was kind of like uh, knowing how to tackle, knowing how to block or whatever it may be. And so one of my problems, and maybe you, you've seen this, um, is I, I just thought that I could just barrel into everybody like this and like, it'd be good. Like I could knock them down. Right. But here's what my dad showed me. Like he said, all right, and this wasn't in the mean way, but I come at him like this, you know, and he just kind of like pushed my head down and where the head goes, what? The body followed. And so I didn't know this though. I was getting like really frustrated and I, I finally was just, you know, he could see I was, I was defeated. And uh, he said, son, like, you, you know what's happening, right? I'm like, no, you know, like I'm like pouting about it. And uh, he said, whenever you are trying to come at me, like your head's down and because your head's down, your head's in the wrong place. Um, all I got to do is push you down so easily and your, and your, and your body ends up following. And I was like, oh, okay. And so years later was in um, a, a crucial game uh, in, in high school football and I had a really big guy um, and all game he was just knocking me down, knocking me down. It's frustrating. And in my dad's head re replayed where, where the head goes, the body falls. I really, I've had my head down the whole time, got my head up and it didn't change the outcome of the game at all. So anyway, I don't know why I told you that story, but no, here's the deal. I, I use that in a physical sense, but um, like in a football or athletic sense. But I think that is so true in the sense of where our head is in terms of how we think about something, um, our, our body or our actions and our behaviors follow, right? And so let me, let me kind of flesh this out um, in, in the context of maybe uh, our, our, our Christian life or whatever that may be, is that sometimes uh, we say like, man, I'm struggling with guilt or I'm just not very joyful or man, I just keep succumbing to this sin over and over and over again. And we kind of can look at that at the surface in the way that as a little kid, I, I would have just looked at the surface level issue is that I keep falling down. 
Cole, stop falling down. Well, the issue was that my head was in the wrong place. I think sometimes with a lot of our struggles and life things that we deal with, actually the problem is it's the way that we're thinking about these things. It's maybe our, our worldview. It's the way, and so to flesh this out even more, for some of us, man, we, we struggle with joy or maybe we struggle with guilt. And the issue is not that and stuff. Maybe the issue is more like, hey, we've forgotten who we are in Christ. Like we've forgotten that our, our joy and our relationship with God has been paid for by, by Jesus and that even on the darkest of days or, or the greatest of days, there's, there's a joy that we're called to and it's the way that we're thinking. Maybe our circumstances change and that controls our joy. And the Bible would tell us, right, hey, there's a better way of thinking. Are y'all tracking with me here? And so, but knowing that where the head goes, how we're thinking controls our behavior, controls where we go, maybe even what we do with our hands and feet and our mouths, what we listen to. In the context of 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, I think that that principle that where the head goes, the body follows, is very applicable. I think when we wanna talk about how are we supposed to think about our bodies, and, and specifically, and you use the word, it's taboo to use in church, about sexuality, is that a lot of times... The problem not, doesn't lie in so much as like the struggle itself. It lies in our thinking, that our thinking is off. And so as we said with things like struggling with joy and guilt in the Christian life, what we do is we turn to where for those answers and how to think properly about that. We turn to Scripture, right? And so I think overall the question that we should have tonight, if we know that, if you really believe that, hey, maybe, maybe Cole's right, maybe he's got something going here that, the issue seems to be, man, it's, I'm not thinking about it correctly. And that, that's controlling everything else. What I really believe is dictating how I act. It's normal, right? And so tonight, what my hope is, is that we would look at Scripture. And the question that I want to point to is what does the Bible actually say about our bodies? What does the Bible say about sexuality? How does it inform our thinking? How does it address? I think about this. Like I said, I know that this can be kind of taboo, right? Like, talk about this in church. Like, is this okay? Like, does Brandon know about this? You know, this guy's talking about this tonight? Yeah, he does. All right. We know. We're good. And so, what I want to do is we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And just before that, I want to tell you, here's the reason why I'm excited about this and why you should be excited and not feel awkward. The reason I'm excited is because a lot of times we talk about, oh, the spiritual this, the spiritual that. We talk about spiritual disciplines. We talk about prayer. And would you be honest that maybe sometimes a struggle that all of us can have at different times is that it seems like the things we talk about feel really distant and vague. Is that fair? Like, your relationship with God and, and, and your prayer life and you hear words like spirit, right? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it can feel vague and sort of disconnected. Well, here, and that's why that's not true. Here is the Bible talking very clearly about something that we can for sure relate to, our actual physical bodies. What we should believe and think about how we use our physical bodies specifically within sexuality. And so I'm super excited that the Bible addresses this thing. It's important. First Corinthians Chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, 
and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the question again is what, what, right, what does the Bible say about our bodies? And I think if you look back at verses 12 and 13, what's kind of happening here is he's addressing wrongful thinking, right? Sometimes you gotta go to the wrong way of thinking first to get to the right. And so the Corinthians had this idea of let's compartmentalize. Let's separate the physical from the spiritual. And here's how they fleshed this out. They said, Hey, all things are lawful for me. Hey, the stomach is meant for food, food for the stomach. So the idea was, whatever my body wants, my body can have. I want Chick-fil-A, I'm gonna go get Chick-fil-A. I want to eat five sandwiches at Chick-fil-A, I will eat five sandwiches at Chick-fil-A. I wanna be with that person in the way that Jesus said I shouldn't be with that person, I'm gonna do it. And whoever I want to with. Now, that raises red flags, right? You see this way of thinking? And so for some reason they thought, hey, my spiritual side, man, that's, that's good. Like that, that's the part for Jesus. But my body, my body, I'm free in Christ. I get to do whatever I want to. And how does Paul address this way of thinking? He says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the who? For the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And so that's the first thing that, that the Bible addresses. What it says about our bodies is that our bodies are actually for the Lord. And so it's not for ourselves. And so let's zoom forward a little bit into 2020. All right, getting personal here. Um, we're really good at disconnecting our physical bodies from our spiritual. Sometimes, like, we can have this really great spiritual part of ourselves but then in our, in our physical life, what we do with our bodies, we're like, mm, Jesus, you don't get to touch that part. That's, that's me. I can stay in this, all right? I know what you say, but this, this is for me. I think another way that we do this is, hey, all things are good. You can do whatever you want. I think things like saying, hey, man, you be you. You be you. You, you, do, you do you. And so we say, man, that means whatever I can do, the, the false thinking, whatever I want to do in this, this body, hey, it's fine. No, no worries. And this raises big red flags with Paul. He's saying, hey, the, the body is actually not meant for that stuff. There's actually a purpose for it. It's deeply connected, and your body is for the Lord. And I love, notice how he says this. Not all things are helpful, I will not be dominated by anything. So here's my encouraging part of this point. Look, I think sometimes if we'll be honest and maybe whatever sort of fleshly cravings we have, desires, it's not, 
we don't feel free in Christ, right? We feel sometimes the things that we desire control us. And so the thought of like, man, I can do whatever I wanna do. And it's like, but can you actually stop doing that thing if you tried? And sometimes if we're honest, it's like, no, you can't. And so what the gospel introduces and what Paul wants to introduce is say, hey, brother and sister, I don't want you to be dominated by that thing anymore. It's eating your life, but God has more. The Lord calls you in and says, actually, your body, it's, it's, it's for me. Like, I have a purpose for it, and it's, it's beautiful. It actually belongs to me. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says that our bodies are for the Lord. Then verses 14 through 17, let's read that again real quick. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who has joined a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, I would admit, in studying this, I was like, what is he talking about? Members? Like, what in the world? Well, I gotta teach this? Um, yeah, for real. So the best way I can explain this is that we become, when we believe in the gospel, we become one with Jesus in such a way that when we see the picture of baptism, I've talked to some of you about baptism recently, that what's happening is that whenever, let's see, I'm baptizing someone up here, and I say, I, I baptize so-and-so in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death. That's union with Christ in his death. And when you come back up, the old you is dead and gone, raised with him in newness of life. And so you're united with Christ in his death and resurrection. What happens in that beautiful union, it's kind of a, a mystical, beautiful thing, is that we have oneness with Jesus. And so the best way I can explain this is I want you to pretend that just for a moment that we had the opportunity, all right, don't get weirded out, that like our physical bodies looked like, like the physical body of Jesus. And to a lost and dying world, they're over here, they're looking at us and, and what they see, they have the opportunity to see Jesus. And we get, we get one hour to do this. And what we get to show to a lost and dying world is we show them Jesus. We show them how he, he lives. We show the beauty of the gospel. We, we show everything that, that Jesus showed. Now, you can't do that in an hour, right? That's hard. But here's the beauty tonight, and all nights, this is true eternally, is that when we have union with Christ, we have an opportunity to literally be his hands and his feet. And so, when we're walking in obedience with Christ, it's as if Christ is walking. When we're reaching out in love to others, it's as if Christ's hand is reaching out. When we're praying for others, it's as if Christ is praying with us. But here's the warning. The opposite is also true. It mentions a sin such as prostitution. And so the, the thinking, right, of we can do whatever we want with our bodies, that here's Jesus over here in our spiritual realm. Here's our... Here's our bodies, we can do whatever we want. It, it was so bad that they somehow justified a sin as prostitution. That's crazy, right? Like, don't you think that's, that's crazy? That's like, that's like out there. And so the, the opposite can be true. We can forfeit the blessing of being in such union with Christ that everything we do is if it's his hands, his feet. And we can, by our sin, we can unite the members of Christ with sin. You see that? When 
when we give ourselves over to any sin, but in this context, sexual immorality, it's as if it's just the hands of Jesus were doing that. It's as if the feet of Jesus were walking to places we shouldn't go. It's as if the mouth of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus were seeing things they shouldn't see. And so rather than staying there, that's, that's the warning. What Paul wants us to see is this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful opportunity for us to not just say that, hey, I'm gonna live for Jesus, which is good, right? Anyone in here wanna live for Jesus? Raise your hand. I wanna live for Jesus. It's actually, the, the complete biblical picture is that like you're living with Jesus. Like he's, he's so like with you. It's, it's his hands, it's his feet moving with you. I know that can be hard to think about, but it's, it's the way the Bible addresses our thinking, right? And so the Bible makes it very clear. It says that our bodies are for the Lord. And then it says that our bodies are members of Christ, that we are one with him. So there's kind of two ways we have to change our thinking. And I'm just seeing some of your eyes are like, oneness with Jesus. Man, that's hard. And yes, I know. It's a process. Like we're rewiring the way that we think. But we got to do that first. Here's some more ways. Let's look at verse 18. Beautiful stuff right here. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So when the word temple was used, it was brought up. I mean, what was obviously brought to mind was the Jewish temple, Right? And so the goal of this, if you get some Old Testament insight, is that the temple was just beautiful. It was gorgeous. It's one of the things like, I look at the outside of this church and think, man, what beautiful architecture. And, and the temple back then, nothing knocked Southcrest. It just, it makes it look kind of shabby, right? Like it just the way it was ornate. And when people were to walk by, what the goal was, that it would be a monument of God's beauty, that the way that the, the temple was, was built and the way that it stood would be a reflection of the beauty and majesty and wonder of God. You know where I'm going with this? What the Bible also says about our bodies is that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are a temple, and the way we just talked about the temple, of the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's what happens. I don't know if you've experienced this. Have you ever had, this isn't to knock mom or grandma. It could have been dad or grandpa, but you ever say, now, don't you go smoking there. Remember, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that before? <laughs> don't you go drinking with your buddies. That Holy Spirit ain't gonna like it in that temple if you go drinking now. You ever hear stuff like that? Don't do this. Don't do, remember what your body is. Now, here's what's crazy. Do y'all notice that often a lot of what we hear is the negative side of it? Like, don't do this, don't do that, because, man, God, God ain't gonna like that. It's not a good dwelling place. Here's what's amazing. Our lives, these bodies, are an invitation to a lost and dying world to come and see the beauty of the God on display. And here's what I mean. 
when our Christianity, when our faith can, can kind of get rid of that do not thinking, all right, that's an elementary way of thinking. I, I invite all of us tonight, like, we gotta move on from that. Right, nothing against grandma and, and grandpa. Maybe they're just trying to keep us in a good moral compass. But being a temple of the Holy Spirit, guys, it's so much better than that. And what it is, is it's an opportunity is that the Spirit of God dwells within us. And so wherever we walk and whatever we do, guess what people get to do? Guess what the opportunity we get? We get to show them God with our bodies. We get to show them his beauty. We get to show them his love. We get to show them his holiness and his righteousness. We get to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that when people walk by, just like back in the day when people would walk by and see the Jewish temple, they would stand back and say, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Look at that. Look at this just masterpiece. And so we know what happens when people see beautiful cathedrals or beautiful temples or whatever. What do they want to do after that? They want to go inside. They want to see what's, what's in there. And that's our opportunity tonight. It's just not beautiful. That's our opportunity that we would be such amazing temples of the Holy Spirit that people would see the beauty of God on display and they would want to know what What's inside of that? What's going on? And that's where we show them the gospel. We show them, we show them Christ. And so, yes, while it's true that man, we don't want certain things to be in these bodies because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's so much more. It's an amazing opportunity to show people who God is. With this, these hands and this, I, I can't believe it. It's, it's a humbling thing. So I think that's why it's so important that we apply last week's teaching. Remember what we said about leaven, about not allowing the leaven, that it says like a little bit of sin is like a little bit of leaven in bread, right? That it makes problems rise. And so when our bodies are inhabiting things, that does not make a nice home, okay, in quotes, for the Holy Spirit. We're forfeiting an opportunity to be used by God, to put him on display. And so when I, going back to earlier in chapter six, here are some sins that I mentioned. He just, he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to see that all those sins are, are lumped together. And when we change our thinking, check this out, when we change our way of thinking and believe that, hey, my body's for, for the Lord, that I'm united with Christ whenever I move, he moves, and that it's actually a temple for the Holy Spirit. When we get that, all of those things earlier in chapter six, it's like assumed. It's like, that doesn't glorify God. Like, idolatry doesn't glorify God. Adultery doesn't glorify God. Cheating on my spouse or looking at someone in a sexual way that I'm not married to. Um, homosexuality doesn't glorify God. Like, God has, has joined uh, man with woman, not man with man and woman with woman. Like, it's, it's so obvious. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Nor, nor thieves, nor stealing, not being greedy, like I need to be a generous person with what God has given me. Do you see where I'm going here? Like it, it all makes sense. 
And not one of these sins is emphasized more than the other because it's all in righteousness. Every single one of these equally are not a good home for the Holy Spirit who wants to dwell in us, make his home within us, that we may be temples. And so a lot of us on the more smaller scale sins, a lot of us like to keep bitterness in our hearts. A lot of us like to keep anger. A lot of us maybe house various forms of looking at other people as less than the image of God, sins as, as like racism, and, and, and hopefully you're struggling. But just some nasty things, but can be more subtle, not as obvious, we keep that in. And God's like, I have so much more for you. I want you to cleanse that leaven out, and I want you to start being the temple that I've called you to be. Do you see that? Just not if you're tracking with me. I just, we're sleeping tonight or something, or it's really heavy. I'm not sure. And so we say to a lost and dying world as temples, hey, we're going we're gonna to open up the doors and let you in. And see, we're gonna, we'll let you see what this God thing's all about. So here comes the clear application. Remember when I said we're in the head is in the wrong place, the body will follow. But here's the beauty. God's word has given us such clear direction and what Paul has basically done is he's given us a biblical theology of our bodies and sexuality. And check this out. When we're thinking correctly about this, when we get this, here's the question we ask. What does the Bible say to do about it? And it goes to back to verse 18. What does it say? It says, flee from sexual immorality. Anybody of you ever seen a rattlesnake in here? Rattlesnake. So my hometown in Sweetwater, Texas, guys, of all the things to be famous for, it is famous, can you believe it, for rattlesnakes. Like, are you serious? Like, that's all we got? You know, not like a burger place or like a, a chicken place, rattlesnakes, okay? And so here's the deal. There are a group of men called the Sweetwater JCs. Jason knows what I'm talking about. There's a group of men called the Sweetwater JCs that what they do is they're in charge of the rattlesnake roundup and literally like 10,000 something rattlesnakes are brought to a single venue and they like bring them and they get them out and they like play with them and do stuff with them. And like, I'll tell you, like Caitlin and I growing up there, we left town during that weekend. Like we're like, Mm-mm, I'm not doing it. And here's why. One, weird. Okay. Two, if you know what a rattlesnake is, you don't want to be in the vicinity of rattlesnakes, guys. If you get bit, let's say you get bit in the ankle or anywhere midday, and for some reason you can make it through the pain and you decide, I'm just going to go to sleep that night, you ain't waking up, all right? Like those things are deadly. Like when they bite you, it's going to kill you. Rattlesnake bites are serious. And so my practical application and something that I want to speak to the Sweetwater JCs is like, what are you guys doing? Like, they know more than all of us what they do. And so my application for them is, you know what they do. Get as far away from them as you possibly can. And that's what Paul says to us about sexual immorality. You know what it does. I'm going to keep it simple. It destroys the potential for you to be a beautiful temple of God's Holy Spirit, that you might display the glory of God to all who are looking on you. You see that? That's enough motivation for us tonight. And then you look at verse 20. First application, flee. Second, verse 20. So glorify God in your body. So here's the positive response. Rattlesnake, sexual immorality, getting away from that, running as fast as we can. But the glory of God, wanting to see God praised and acknowledged just through our lives and all that we do, we run in hard pursuit of that. We sprint towards it as fast as we can. 
I heard someone uh, share recently a quote. I think it was Andrea. She shared that it was a quote that the world is not going to cheer us on in our pursuit of holiness. And so guess what? Those temptations, those, all the sins we mentioned, they're not going to cheer you on and help you in that pursuit. So you have to run as fast as you can and flee away from sexual immorality and just dead sprint and pursue the holiness of God through you being a temple of the Holy Spirit. You'll see that? When our temples are beautiful and a proper display of the beauty and majesty of God, we glorify him in our bodies. This is, this is beautiful, guys. This is what the Bible says. I had a suspicion, and I'm, I'm glad I went with it because it's very obvious. Um, I think that you can hear all of this tonight and I think that you can, man, I, I know that, I believe that, what Paul's teaching. I, man, I get it, flee, glorify. Like, if you've been in this thing long enough, that was a journey, just, you could probably come up with that. Like, these are not creative points. Like, it's just kind of what the Bible says. And I think what can happen is you know all that. But you, you are so discouraged. Like, even right now, you're like, Gosh, it's just another reminder that I make a lousy temple. <laughs> right? And I think if we're not careful, we're, we're gonna get stuck in this rut of discouragement where we, we get all this, I mean, the Bible's just pouring out knowledge. We get all this know-how, like all this beautiful stuff. And we're trying, man, I'm, I'm trying to flee. I'm trying to, but while the, the life that you live should just sing the song of I'm singing in the victory of Jesus, a lot of times you feel defeated, you feel discouraged, not just in the, in the realm of, of sexuality and that type of sin, but you, I mean, just in general. I'm not gonna ask you to raise hands, but if that's you tonight, I have a story I wanna share with you. A few, not a few years ago, a while back, um, there was a, a guy who came to teach in a certain venue. It was for college students. And the topic of his sermon was just sexual purity. That, that was his topic, all right? Now, there was a man who came to listen to that and invited a friend of his. And this friend of his had been struggling, was actually in a relationship that did not honor the Lord. But this friend of his had been seeking Jesus and and just trying to work through some of those things. But you know just that feeling where like some of those old sins are clinging on and you're trying to work through that. And he wanted to bring his friend there to just man, get, some, get some encouragement. And so here's what the speaker did. At the very beginning, and some of you are gonna know where I'm going with this, so don't whisper the rest of the story. The speaker, at the very beginning, got out a beautiful rose and he held the rose up and he, he, touched, he touched the rose. Man, look, this is so beautiful. I, I thought about getting a rose, but anyway. Uh, so just picture those rose. It's so, so beautiful. And it'd be like if he walked the rose over here at the beginning of a sermon, said, hey, here, Hunter, you take that. Hey, Hunter, everybody, make sure you touch the rose, you feel it, pass it around, make sure you see how beautiful it is. And he said, y'all pass it around. I'm gonna be preaching for a while. I'll ask for it later. And so he goes through his sermon, 
And instead of doing what, what I've desired to do today is give you a gospel-centered vision for our bodies and sexuality and not really what I'm doing, what Paul's doing, what the Word of God does, all that his sermon was about was just about, hey, don't have sex because you may get pregnant out of wedlock. Hey, don't have sex because you may get an STD. Hey, don't have sex because you may get AIDS. I mean, just all these things are just like, just don't do this because of this, don't do this, but, but no gospel. The man's name who brought the friend of his, that man's name was Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler is a pastor in Dallas, very gospel-centered preacher. But he was only 19 years old at the time. And, and because he brought his friend to be encouraged, maybe in a way that you hope to be encouraged tonight, he brought his friend to be encouraged. And all this preacher did was just, it was just condemning. Just like, oh. And Matt Chandler's frustration began to rise and rise and rise because he's like, where's the gospel? There's not even scripture being read. There's the hope that my friend needs tonight, that all of us need, has not even been pointed to. All of this, he's just thinking to himself. He's not saying it. So at, at the end, like pretend that Michael gets up and Michael, hey man, where's that rose? All right, all right here it is, man. Take it back. He's got this rose in his hand. And what happens is that this rose is just tattered and torn to pieces. Like, a, I mean, a lot of the, the petals are gone. I mean, it's just down to nothing. And it's, it's just, it's kind of nasty to look at. And the comparison that he was trying to make that night was that that rose being passed around is, is a symbol of you giving yourself away to someone sexually before marriage. Pause, going somewhere with this. So what he did when that rose came back and it was just tattered and disgusting, he said, this is what you are when you give yourself before marriage. And he looked at that rose and he said, who would want this? He just threw the rose to the ground. That was the climax. That was the most powerful thing he had to say. And at that moment, I love hearing Matt Chandler's story of this because he said it was all that he could do it was all that he could do to not stand up and yell, Jesus wants the rose. He bought you with a price. He looked at the rose. He saw it when it was tattered, just ruined in our sin. He saw you when you were dead in your sin. He saw you in the place of total helplessness. And he picked you up out of that mire. He delivered you out of darkness and brought you to his light. By his grace, you have been saved. Jesus wants that rose. He wants you in that place where you feel broken and discouraged and defeated. That's the place where he picks you up. That's the gospel. So the last application is how, what are, what are you supposed to do about this? We're supposed to remember in verse 20, it says, we were bought with a price. Jesus did not, he, Matt Chandler got it right. He did not only want the rose, he bought the rose. How did he buy it? With his own body and blood. He sacrificed himself on the cross and he paid it in full for you and for me. And so in that place where you are discouraged, you remember Jesus 
wants the rose. He didn't only want it, but he went out and bought it. He wants you. He bought you. You are not your own. You belong to him. And when he looks at you, he does not see some tattered, unwanted thing that some speaker who doesn't know the gospel could throw aside, but he sees you and he loves you. And here's the beauty of it. He picks that rose back up and makes it beautiful once again and unites himself to you. Oh man, that's good. Can we give it up for the Lord? That's good stuff, guys. Come on, that's the gospel. Man, I'm fired up here. I'm not gonna be able to sleep tonight. And on that note, I want to give a time of response. So what I want you to do, we're not doing a head bowed, eyes closed thing, respond. What I do, I want you to bow your head and I want to give you a time to respond tonight. And here are some things that I want you to respond to as we, we're going to kind of drop the lights down just so you feel like you have a little bit of privacy. And I want you to think through these truths that we learned tonight, that our body is the Lord's, that we are one with Christ and that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Resonate on those truths. I want you to think about what it would look like to embrace in an application to flee from those things that are holding you down, to pursue, pursue the glory of God by the way you live your life. And the most important part of all, to remember you were bought with a price. And when you see yourself as that unwanted rose, Jesus wants the rose. I'll let you just bow your heads in prayer for a few moments and the band will leave. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the venue podcast.